Okay, welcome to this episode of Tell Me More with Dr. Dennis Wiles. I'm Katie Hodges. Today we hop into 1 Corinthians 10. We talk about the topic of eating meat sacrificed to idols, but also just the world of hermeneutics, the cultural interpretation of everything, and how then do we live in this culture. It's a fun conversation. Put on your academic hats and we'll hop right in. Thanks. episode of Tell Me More. I'm Katie Reed Hodges, back from vacation, and I'm in the podcast studio with Dr. Dennis R. Wiles. Hi, boss. Hello there, Katie. So Welcome ha- back. Thank you. <laughs> I have to, we went on a baby moon, as uh-huh, they call it now, uh-huh. a vacation uh-huh. before you have babies. Yes. And how was it? It was good. Yeah, it was different yeah. because I, I planned it around my pregnancy. So uh-huh. we we usually go like hike a national park or mm-hmm. explore a city, and I can't do any of that. So <laughs> uh-huh. we went to Phoenix, Scottsdale. Yeah. And still explored, but at a much slower pace. This uh-huh. is different, but, is. but we had a great time. And Explore it, the lazy river in the pool. Is that, that was pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, can I walk to the spa? It's still a river. <laughs> How many steps can I take? <laughs> it was a river. Yeah, with a beautiful view of like, concrete mountains. So, no, it was really fun. Good for Ryan and I to be away, mm-hmm. but always good to be back. So, But mm-hmm. I have to admit, Luke did a good job last week. Luke did well. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were not left holding the bag. So I'm happy for that. Thank you, Luke. I'm sure you'll listen to this. Yeah, he's, so we, we, he's preparing for when you're on maternity leave. He was. He's just prepping. Yeah, but I'm hoping you all don't realize after a couple months that you don't, <laughs> you don't need me anymore. No, so, I don't think no, that'll I'm happen. not worried about any of that, but I am grateful that we have a good team. Absolutely. So, well, we're hopping in. Your sermon yesterday, mm-hmm. mainly about eating meat sacrificed to idols. Right. What something is hot on the list. I mean, right now, all yeah. Americans are talking about it. Yeah. I wonder how many people <laughs> want to go pull that one back up versus your one on sexuality two weeks ago. Uh, oh but you made it applicable, and that's what yeah. I want to talk about. Right. But there was this, well, we'll talk about anything we want, but there was this very common Mm-hmm. practice in Corinth that mm-hmm. you have helped translate into how we might mm-hmm. see it today. But anything mm-hmm. off the bat you want to say mm-hmm. to your people about that? Um, well, just, I guess I would say it's, uh, it's, it was a great exercise to me mm-hmm. in reading the scripture, letting the text say what it says, then trying to figure out what it meant to its original readers, and then understand what was being taught. And then how do we take that somehow and translate it across the centuries, if you will, to where yes. we live. So. Which is one of the goals of this Rededicate right. series, the exactly. First Corinthians series. Mm-hmm. And it's a great example of, mm-hmm. okay, why are we even reading this mm-hmm. and what does it mean to me? Absolutely. So on that note, you've talked about, Kurt has talked about, I've probably mentioned it, that one of the priorities of this study is to make us good Bible readers, mm-hmm. but we've used this phrase hermeneutics right. a lot. Mm-hmm. That we're going, in exegesis, you right. know, some some... To me, they're seminary words. Mm -hmm. So for those that are listening, I thought it might Mm -hmm. be helpful. When we talk about hermeneutics, Mm -hmm. even if we understand what it means, where did it come from? Mm -hmm. Was Paul talking about hermeneutics (laughs) with with his scriptures he's opening up? You know, what's kind of the evolution of the study of this? Break it down for us, if you would. Well, of course, it's a word we borrowed from another language, obviously. It's the science of interpretation. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a Greek perspective, if you will. Um, but it's uh, it's an ancient practice. I mean, we we didn't come up with it. It's not a modern invention. Hermeneutics has been around a long time mm-hmm. because when the scripture was was finally put in place, what you and I would call the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, you had um, teachers, scribes, students of the law, if you will, uh, among the, the the Jewish leadership. And you had schools of thought. And those schools of thought were primarily based upon the science of hermeneutics. Mm. And so 
probably the easiest one to understand would be for, for most of our folks, when you come to the New Testament, you had a group of people who who said, okay, we, we need to um, embrace the, the teachings of the Scripture in such a way that it causes us to live a life among these Romans that's really set apart. And we've got to, to show that we are going to be adherents of the teaching of Scripture, leaning into not only what God has said and done, but what is God going to continue to do. And those were the Pharisees. Sometimes the Pharisees get a bad rap because they were mm-hmm. so antagonistic toward Jesus. Yeah, I learned which, a song at VBS as a kid. Like, I don't want to be a Pharisee. That's you, right. know? you know, they were viewed. But were actually, viewed a lot of good, them were good, holy people. They were, mm-hmm. you know, um, Nicodemus, mm-hmm. um, Gamaliel. There, there were some very godly, good. They were all men, mm-hmm. but they not only looked at what the Scripture uh, said and taught as to what God had done in the past. Mm -hmm. They also were leaning into what God was continuing to do and what God would do. So they had a certain expectancy as they studied the scripture. The Sadducees uh, came from a very... We sang about them as well. (laughs) Right. They come from a different perspective. (laughs) I also don't want to be a Sadducee. They were very aristocratic, (laughs) uh, more priestly in their orientation, very much tied to the temple in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees were more uh, among the people. They were more tied to the synagogues, which were the places of gathering outside of Jerusalem. And so the Sadducees had a certain stake in the game, so to speak. And so their interpretation of the scripture was much more rigid, much um, much less robust. And uh, so they focused primarily on the law. So there were things that, that they just didn't embrace. They didn't look forward, if you will, to the things that God was going to continue to do. And some of that served them well because they, they didn't want the Romans to think that the Jews were going to do anything unexpected or mm-hmm. something crazy, if you will. So it served their interests because they were connected to the Roman authorities in in Israel. And so you would have a ruling priest out of the Sadducee side of the table, if you will. And so they were the ones who were really in power. Even though the Sanhedrin was comprised of of Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sadducees kind of had the authority. Mm -hmm. And so um, they they had a more narrow interpretation of the scripture. Mm-hmm. So you got two schools of thought here. And these are hermeneutics. About, these are hermeneutics. That's right. They're so hermeneutic. They wouldn't have called it that. No, that, that word, would not have been the word they no. would have used, but that's what but it that's was. The it was a science of just interpreting the scripture. Is there, was there hermeneutics in other fields of study, or is that particular to the Bible? Of course. You know, so if you're doing literature. Yes, sure. You want to look idea. back at original sources, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But over time, what happened was, so let's, let's just walk it through history real quickly. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, the church is birthed, and Christianity begins to spread across the ancient world. It's primarily an Eastern religion, if mm-hmm. you look at it from Western civilization perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if you were a full-blown Easterner, you might not view it that way, but, right. but that, that's just the truth, that Christianity begins in Jerusalem, the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so one of the first places that it goes with any kind of substance is Antioch, which is in Syria, so you're mm-hmm. still in the East. Mm-hmm. And then as it migrates westward, you know, you for, you start to find places like Alexandria, mm-hmm. um, and then it makes its way across Asia Minor, what we'd call Turkey today, and then eventually into Rome, which is the Western Mediterranean. Expansion. It is. It has sense. that feel to no. it. Well, over time, you're going to you're going to to see um, people trying to understand the New Testament teachings of the Scripture because mm-hmm. the New Testament writers, um, as as uh, time progresses. The church begins to gather these sacred writings just like Israel gathered their sacred writings. Mm-hmm. So the question was, once that occurred, you get to about 300 or so, that's already happened, A.D. 300. Mm-hmm. 
churches, both West and East, have basically adopted the 27 books in the New Testament that we would consider mm. today as canonical. So you're saying by 300? Yeah. While we're talking about biblical history. That's Let's right. Let's get that right. So, um, well, you had schools of thought mm-hmm. as um, the teachers, the preachers, the pastors. Once they emerge out of persecution, once Constantine emerges on the scene, mm-hmm. 325 basically declares that the, AD 313 is the Edict of Toleration, where Constantine says, look, we're going to tolerate everybody, mm-hmm. mainly aimed toward Christians. A very different reality. But by the time you get to 325, Constantine is, is so interested in it all. He brings all the, the main pastors from all the major cities all over the world to Nicaea, to Turkey, mm-hmm. and uh, convenes a council. Well, it's there that the, the scriptures already really fully embraced mm-hmm. and uh, the understanding of Christianity is starting to grow. Well, here's what's going to happen over mm-hmm. time. Now you're going to have a free church, if you will, for the most part, and uh, and so and and basically honored and blessed by the state, if you will, and so schools of thought begin to emerge. So you have an Alexandrian school that's heavily influenced by Plato, and so there's this whole kind of Platonic view, very spiritualistic in its interpretation of the scripture. Mm-hmm. While the Antioch school, Antiochene school, is primarily influenced by Aristotle, so it's a little more practical, a little more rational, if you will, not quite as spiritualistic in interpretation. So, so for example, if if you were schooled in the Alexandrian school of biblical interpretation, you'll read a parable from Jesus, from Jesus and you'll look for more of a spiritual interpretation. Mm-hmm. So if, if you say that, um, you know, um, uh, there's a three-day journey, you know, I think it's... Uh, it's um, I forget which story it is, but there's a story Jesus tells us a three-day journey where the Alexandrian school goes, ooh, three days. Now, we know three is a very important number in Scripture. Spiritual. The Antiochene school would say that has nothing to do with this it's story. This days. is just a story. It's three days, no big deal. Mm. So you have so even in early, even, early. Yes, absolutely. You get to the 400s, you're already having scholars beginning to develop debates. their interpretation of the Scripture. Yes. Mm. So it's it's as old as Judaism. It's as old as the early church. Now, there's no question you and I today in the 21st century, we live in an era where from in terms of biblical interpretation, mm-hmm. we have about uh, 200 years now worth of, um, of really intense focus um, that m- often is just re- referred to as the whole science of criticism. Mm-hmm. And I would say to our church folks, when you hear that word, don't hear that word harshly. The, the, the in the scholarly circles, criticism just means analysis, mm-hmm. evaluation. Not, not critiquing. Correct. You're just really in analyzing yeah. the scripture. Critical Correct. in its nature. Okay. Critical thinking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's I learned very, some of that in seminary. That's very positive. Yeah. <clears throat> However, it can be it can challenging. You know, so um so here's what's happened today. Twenty first century. We now have a whole science of hermeneutics, mm-hmm. which which makes sense. Almost every field you academic field you can think of has developed over time mm-hmm. and and now has critical thinkers in, in every field. You know, science has changed tremendously in the last mm-hmm. 200 years. Well, mm-hmm. so has the study of Scripture, the study of archaeology, biblical backgrounds, biblical archaeology mm-hmm. has just mushroomed over the last couple hundred years, mm-hmm. but also the evaluation of the actual text. So today you have scholars who actually function in these various levels of criticism. So you have textual critics. Their main role is to determine what's the best reading of the biblical texts. So if you've got, mm-hmm. you know, around 5,000 ancient copies of the Greek New Testament, which one of those are the best readings? How do you, how do you determine, you know, the best readings of the text? Uh, when Dead Sea Scrolls were uncovered, 
the oldest Old Testament text that we had written in Hebrew dated to about A.D. 1000. Okay. There were the, there were the Masoretes mm-hmm. who provided that for us. Mm-hmm. It's called the Masoretic text. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the text of the, of the King James Version. Of, and it's of the oldest. It's the best we had. It's the best we had. Until? Until the Dead Sea Scrolls. A little Scrolls, shepherd boy. Right. <laughs> you know, a little <laughs> and, Bedouin and throws yeah. a rock into a cave you know, to, yeah. to, to try to get a goat out of there. Um, that next is how thing the, you know. That, for those listening, from what I know, that's how the Dead Sea Scrolls <laughs> were found. That's pretty much what happened. The, that's 40s, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So all of a sudden, we find these copies of of the Old Testament encased in cylinders shoved into the walls of a cave, Mm -hmm. which was highly unusual in the ancient world. The reason it was is because the Jews have always regarded their actual texts as sacred. Hmm. So you wouldn't just shove them in a cave? No. What happens is... For them, you have to. Hebrew is very difficult to read. Read from right to left. Yes, I did attempt in okay, seminary. So, you know the ancient texts, <laughs> and, and the ancient texts have no spaces between the words yeah, and no, and no uh, vowels. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you have a you have a pointer that mm-hmm. you use to read the text with. And so as you make your way across that that scroll over and over and over, it'll begin to wear some hmm. and deteriorates the integrity of the text. Well, the text has the name God on it, and so it's very sacred to the Jews. And so the Jews did not preserve those texts. They would bury them. Hmm. So every Jewish cemetery in the world has a, a, a special area in the cemetery just for the biblical texts hmm. to be buried. A tomb for the scrolls. Correct. And so they're not preserved. So the texts are always buried, so they deteriorate, so they disappear, basically. Hmm. Which is why the earliest ones we did have That's were, right. were, were dated back to AD 1000. Okay. All of a sudden, you go to the Dead Sea Scrolls, and those texts date back to the time of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you skip a thousand years. <laughs> You know, which is quite significant, which is unparalleled, right. unpre- it's never of, happened right. before in history. Huge advance. Yeah. And um, praise God for John Rockefeller, Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, he provided primarily the funding uh, back in the 40s really? to actually put together the the teams, mm-hmm. the uh, the equipment, the materials, the, the, the chemicals, if you will to develop a whole science of actually getting these scrolls out of these cylinders without, to where they could be readable without deteriorating without them. That's yeah. right. But anyway, but the point being, so you, you've, you've, you, the textual critics, as you might imagine in the forties, what a, what a heyday for them because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, a good time to be oh a textual goodness. critic. So even today, that's still a science. Well, mm-hmm. then you have another set of critics that are um, typically referred to as source critics. Mm-hmm. The source critics are looking for the sources that are behind the literary sources that are behind some of the texts that we have. Which, when I learned about it, is particularly the older, like the Old Testament. We talked about Genesis. That's right. How where did, did all this get right. put How together? How did we get this together? Versus First Corinthians, <clears throat> right? Where it's a little more. The source is Paul. That's we right. know where he wrote it. Correct. We know who he wrote it to. That is correct. It's just different That's from right. my experience in seminary. Correct. Okay. But but a New Testament question about source would have to do also with with why is it when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mm-hmm. yeah. they're very similar. You read John, and it's dissimilar. Right. Was there a common source, if you will, that maybe Matthew, Mark, and Luke would refer to mm-hmm. that they shared in common? And it's usually called kale or quell. It's mm-hmm. just the German word for source. We it's, learned it as Q. Yeah, it's called we the Q. We don't really use that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That has taken on That's a new meaning. exactly right. So, um, yeah. But then you have the uh, form critics Form critics look more at uh, morphology. They look mm. at the forms of, of language that's used in these texts. And and you find different forms of language found in these various texts that date to different periods in the use of language, you know, which is a it's a it's a science, mm-hmm. but it's uh 
you know, it's it, it it's something that is uh, that's been very helpful to us because it's helped us understand when some of these materials were brought together. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you have the redaction critics. The redaction critics to redact means to edit. Mm-hmm. So then there's this whole question: of, Well, how did they edit these texts? Who who was in charge of editing this material so that we could have it in our hands today? So, for example, why do you have First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles? The, those those mm-hmm. tell the same stories of the same eras in Israel's history, mm-hmm. but they have two different Slightly editors. Different vantage point. Yeah, they're, they're different mm-hmm. perspective. And so the redaction critics try to get underneath the whole editing process. Yeah. It, it, it comes to mm-hmm. bear in the New Where Testament with from? books like John. How did the gospel of John get put together? Because you come to the end of John's gospel and, and some of the materials written in the third person. So, you know, John didn't write it. Mm-hmm. So who wrote it? So who then was in charge of editing this material and bringing it all together? And so you put all that together, and those are schools of criticism, okay? And and so the hermeneutic side of this is you have to, as, a, as an interpreter, you have to look at the, if you will, the science of criticism. You want to have the best text, for sure. You want to best understand, if you can, when it was all pulled together and how it's fitted together. And some of the morphology is helpful to an interpreter because you look at, at at the use of language over time, mm-hmm. it helps you to understand what the author was trying to communicate in its in its original setting, mm-hmm. maybe even how it might have been edited to some degree. All of this is superintended by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the beautiful miracle of all this. Because when you come from my school, I'm I'm in the historical, um, I would say, orthodox school. Mm-hmm. And so I look at this as not just an ancient text. I look at this as an ancient text that's been inspired by the Spirit of God, first of all, to be written. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, superintended by the Holy Spirit for it to be gathered and collected. And then third of all, preserved, preserved by the Holy time. Spirit mm-hmm. so that you and I have a chance to read it. Which is very different than if we're studying the Odyssey. Right. Or whatever. Correct. And the cool thing is... Um, there's no other, literally, you, you could you could you could survey any um, any textual critic um, who's who's studying the history of ancient texts. Compare the Bible to any other ancient text, whether Plato's Republic mm-hmm. or I don't know, pick something, yeah. Tacitus, you know, Annals of History of Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no comparison to the number of texts available and the incredible intensity given to the preservation of these ancient texts to any other ancient text in by, history by far by far it's not even it's not even close so if you're listening or me and you're thinking about can we trust this right it, is yeah. the bible trustworthy yes. in terms of did yes. someone dig it out of their backyard 100 right. years ago that's right no yeah absolutely i mean this if you're a thinking person mm-hmm. now you may not agree with the teachings of the bible so granted <laughs> you may look at it and say okay absolutely. i don't agree with any of that yeah but you can't argue with the historical veracity mm-hmm. of both the Old and the New Testament. It has been tested yeah. more so than any other ancient mm-hmm. literature, religious or secular, in all of history. So it's not even com- – there's no – You ought not dismiss to. it no, very as, easily. No, you, need no. to, you need to decide what you believe Correct. about it, the content. Right, well, exactly. Well, okay, we spent eight, 18 minutes <laughs> okay, and 46 sorry. seconds. No, I, I'm not apologizing <laughs> to anybody. I think um, it's – honestly, mm-hmm. I think it's very – interesting. I, I went to seminary for some of this. I mean, mm-hmm. my, the, my desire to go to seminary mm-hmm. was to study mm-hmm. more deeply than mm-hmm. you would in Sunday school mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think for our church, we're lucky, if the right word, blessed, because we have avenues where our people can study more deeply. That's Obviously, correct. this whole series, but mm-hmm. I want to make a plug. One of the best ways to do it, I think, is 
not necessarily you're preaching on Sunday as mm-hmm. a different purpose, mm-hmm. but you're teaching throughout the week, mm-hmm. which right now is primarily Wednesdays at mm-hmm. lunch. Mm-hmm. So we have a lunch on Wednesdays. I know all of you can't come because you work, right. but mm-hmm. it's recorded. Correct. And if you have a lunch break at work, you could even stream it mm-hmm. on Facebook. And I mm-hmm. think YouTube is where we have it. Mm-hmm. But that's where you teach and you do go deeper into these mm-hmm. things. So right. I think it could sound overwhelming, like how do I learn all of this? Mm-hmm. But one, it's it's attainable. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that we have a great resource library at our church we that do. we don't talk about a ton. We do. In fact, I bet someone listening today, we did, we, we joke a lot at our church that Kurt Grice killed our library, <laughs> which right. really meant yeah. we, the space the library is in is now our guest services, our, right. our visitors right. center. But we took all the theological commentaries mm-hmm. and books well, there's six or seven or eight wonderful commentaries in Incredible. there. Incredible. But also a lot of supplemental reading about Correct. church history and everything. That's right. And now it's right off the main welcome center mm-hmm. in what we call the resource mm-hmm. room. And so you could have access yes. to, you know, if you mm-hmm. want to know more mm-hmm. about how First Corinthians was put together, Correct. we have 10 commentaries we could send you and home it, with. And it is the most— And you can most, check those out. Yeah, it's the most robust— biblical section and theological section that we've ever had since I've been the pastor of this church. And we're adding to it. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's really, it's really fun. Good. In fact, I, I, there's a, now I'm just talking, there's an mm-hmm. NIV commentary, mm-hmm. which I think is really helpful. Mm-hmm. NIV application. A lot of mm-hmm. Truett professors have contributed to it, mm-hmm. but we didn't have it in its fullness, but Lori mm-hmm. got it for us yeah. because it was on sale and she yeah, was able to stock really it. Good. So we're, Very we're helpful. adding to it. So mm-hmm. any church member can go check out a book mm-hmm. for free mm-hmm. and just promise to bring it back, right. but it's really helpful. So mm-hmm. I don't want this to seem so unattainable right. that you can't actually learn Correct. more to yourself. That's right. Yeah. You and, don't have to go to seminary. I would say this, the seminary exists for, the seminaries exist mm-hmm. for a reason just like medical schools exist for a reason. You know, if, if if you're going to go into this for a living, if this is what you feel called to do and you want to, to give your life to this, for someone like me, mm-hmm. well, it stands to reason you need to get equipped and have the tools put in your hands so that you can then utilize them for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and you're a lifelong student. And so... You know, I spent those, I spent 11 years at Southwestern yeah. Seminary. <laughs> and, uh, I just said but, four. <laughs> but, uh, um, but, you know, um, you spent your years at, at, at Truett Seminary mm-hmm. and, and they don't teach you everything. What happens is what's placed in your hands are tools and the ability to utilize those tools, but also trained to do some things, mm-hmm. trained to think and reflect theologically, mm-hmm. um, trained to to use the tools of, of criticism and mm-hmm. biblical languages and theological interpretation mm-hmm. and understanding of the breadth of history and, and philosophy where you're trained to think and reason. Mm-hmm. All of that takes place so that you can give leadership to a church because the, the people in our church who are listening today, m- most of them are not going to go and do all that, just like I'm not going to go study engineering. We have a ton of engineers in our yeah, church. I'm not going to do that. However, um, they can, though, learn the basic tools, though, needed so they can interpret the Scripture for themselves Mm -hmm. and analyze it and make sure they understand exactly what it teaches. And that's really what this is all about. It's just making disciples. And and then the key is taking all that and putting it into your life, Mm -hmm. you know. That would be the goal. That's right. We don't store up knowledge for the sake of knowledge. That's right. But I think that, okay, last plug. Kurt's little rededicate book Mm -hmm. is excellent just Uh, in that. so good. If you want to go deeper, learn more. We have, we're printing Mm -hmm. more for Sunday. We ran out again, which is a wonderful problem. So we're already printing more, but we also have it online Mm -hmm. at fbca.org slash hello. So, okay. okay. That was my hermeneutical (laughs) question. I I think it's awesome. Uh, One thing Luke didn't do last week. Mm -hmm. So Luke, uh, here, let me. He didn't use the buttons enough. He didn't. No. He didn't. Yeah, it's okay. He's well, learning. Yeah. It's so, his first time. Hey, Luke, on maternity leave, can you use the buttons more? No. But, okay, I do want to use the last 10 minutes or so okay. or whatever, however far we go, to talk yeah. a little bit about your sermon particularly. Sure. Um, 
not so much. I think you did a great job in the sermon explaining the context around the, the controversy, right. why they don't eat meat, right. why they need to think about it. Right. But I think what we've talked about and the application, you know, you spent a long time in Corinth mm-hmm. and then translated into what does it look like in Arlington. But right. I think most of us are thinking, what does this mean for my life and mm-hmm. how do we do that? Mm-hmm. And one thing you said is what's at stake? Mm-hmm. Like, why does it, I can just mm-hmm. picture myself even saying, why does it matter? I get the argument. Okay. But I'm not going to start worshiping Aphrodite just right. because this meat, I mean, it's meat. It doesn't mm-hmm. carry a, we don't believe in consubstantiation for the meat, you know, <laughs> right. that, that the presence of Aphrodite might be in it while I'm right. eating it. It's not going right. to, it's not going to. So I can just see myself even saying, mm-hmm. why does that really matter? Mm-hmm. Even if Paul's telling me to, mm-hmm. I don't really take that on. So mm-hmm. you talked about a little bit about holiness mm-hmm. and witness, but why would that even play into their ability to follow Jesus mm-hmm. when it's not going to affect them physically? Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right. So can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about that? Just practically. Yeah. <clears throat> I think probably what I would say is, in Paul's mind, I believe what was at stake was, as I said Sunday morning, the actual integrity of the gospel. Um, if if you become a follower of Jesus and you're in this very pagan culture, very mm-hmm. pagan society, what are the uh, delineating features of a Christian that would cause you to stand out, if you will, as a follower of a much narrower way, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. than just a you know run of the mill Corinthian? Well, one of them was. You're not going to worship at any of these temples. So you're not going to be engaged in any kind of idolatry or anything mm-hmm. associated with it. He says to flee idolatry. In because this is 10. narrow. It's We're just, just following Jesus. That's right. So so these, you know, the goddess Roma, the imperial cult or Artemis or Aphrodite or whatever, mm-hmm. pick one of them. And they're, as you know, they were everywhere in the ancient world. So it's kind of hard for us, I think, Katie, to climb people, back into that culture. Right. And know? I'm trying to, it, would people <laughs> in that world... Um, Go to all of them. What am I trying yeah. to say? Would you go to this temple and the next day Absolutely. that one and the next Some day? Could. It's not a particular. There's not right. a particularity That's in the right. sense that I fall after diet. It, it depends on what you needed in your life. If Got it, it was fertility. If if you wanted to declare your your allegiance to Rome. So, so, it so was, they would pop from one to the absolutely. next. And they did all of it because it was their way of just living in their culture and acknowledging that these gods were a part of their life and the success of the empire. Mm-hmm. So if all of a sudden... They see you, you know, you're a tent maker and all of a sudden they come by to have their, you know, they want to buy something from mm-hmm. you or you're a carpenter. And they say, hey, you know, it, uh, uh, in the last year, I haven't seen you at any of our festivals. You haven't been to any of the banquet halls. Mm-hmm. I've noticed you haven't come to anything. You haven't even been to the imperial cult, mm-hmm. you know, where we're honoring Caesar. And you say, well, you know, I don't do that anymore. What do you mean you don't? What does that mean you don't do? What are you not a Roman anymore? You don't love you don't love the Roman Empire. You don't care about the success of, of our own society. Well, no, that's not it. It's just now I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, you mean you have another God? So is there another temple I need? I didn't even know there was a new temple. Well, no, that's not how this one works. Well, all of a sudden the integrity of the gospel is, I am not just um, carte blanche, just embracing everything that my society does just because they do it. I'm now being more thoughtful and recognizing that something has happened to me that has completely changed me forever. So there was this whole idea of the gospel transformed these people in such a way that they were no longer living these superstitious lifestyles. They were no longer also living these wanton lifestyles because mm-hmm. so much of it was in excess mm-hmm. when I'm doing that anymore and fleeing that. Some of it was connected to sexual immorality. Well, I'm not participating in that any longer. So it was it was the documentation, if you will, of a changed life 
that leads to the witness component, the opportunity then to share this faith in ways that people could understand it. Now, what's going to happen over time is that these Christians are going to learn about the compassion side of Jesus and how the Spirit of God guides them. And they're going to start doing things that the Romans wouldn't do. You know, they're going to start putting their lives on the line in the middle of plagues and those kinds yeah, of things and, and caring for people in ways that the Romans didn't do themselves. That's, I think, you know, for my generation listening. Well, I don't want to speak for all of us, but for me, when you say, we even talked, we joked about this, you know, had you preached this sermon 40 years ago, yeah. it might you might have had more marks about what we don't do culturally right, as Christians. Yeah, right. We don't drink, right. we don't smoke, we yeah. don't go to the dance halls. Right. Where my generation is a little more integrated into society, <laughs> hopefully like you and Luke talked about, not right. taking on parts of mm-hmm. it, but we don't mm-hmm. have a problem going to dancing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right, sure. Because I think, mm-hmm. it, to speak highly, mm-hmm. to give ourselves a good mm-hmm. view, we think the mark of being Christian is the way we love people, mm-hmm. the way we serve the world, right. and not necessarily what we... I say not what we partake in, because yeah. obviously that's a, there's a line there. Right. But I think if you're listening to this... Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I can push back mm-hmm. and say, mm-hmm. well, you know, who cares if you mm-hmm. do this or that? Right. But are, are you marked by love? Mm-hmm. But I can see the mm-hmm. I can see the ditches on that side right. of that. But sure. anyway. But if the culture is engaged in practices that are um, antithetical to the Christian faith, then, you know, you've got to make some decisions about at what level you participate in it. Mm-hmm. So if they're – and that to me is what these folks were – it's what Paul was dealing with. It was very – like I said, it seems a little far-fetched to us, but maybe you can bring it even to, let's say that uh, you live in a community where, um, you know, there are there are um, um, maybe regulations or practices that just promote poverty among a certain segment of the society. And it's just culturally accepted. Mm-hmm. This is what you do. It's just the way it is. Well, Christians over time are to see those kinds of things and say, no, I'm not going to participate fully in a system that just does that all the time. I'm going to find a different way to do this. I'm going to think more creatively about this. I'm not going to just engage in what my society does and act like, well, it's just the way it is. This is just what we do here. Well, these Christians had to figure that out. Mm -hmm. So they're going to start new things. So for example, we have evidence of, of um, funeral celebrations where the Christians would go to a place where the, their dead were buried and they would celebrate the martyrs of the faith. They didn't worship them, but they went to say, look, these people have inspired us. They've shown us how to live. Well, it was a whole different kind of celebration. So there was curiosity about that. Well, what do y'all do when y'all go to those? You know, well, when they started hearing, well, they have a meal. Really? What kind of meal do y'all have? Well, they we actually participate in the blood and body of Christ. Well, there were pagans. Just saying, Man, that's awesome. We mm-hmm. want to get in on that. Mm-hmm. We believe in all this blood and body stuff. Well, all of a sudden the Christians started showing, well, no, that's not exactly what we're doing. So again, it was the integrity of the gospel. It was the witness of of a, of a Christian faith in the middle of an incredibly pagan society. Mm-hmm. But it also, Katie, created a community of believers who began to grow in their awareness of of, of justice and what, what God really wanted from them and how they were supposed to live. So they didn't mistreat their children. They didn't abuse their wives, you know, in public, which was very common in the ancient world. And I, I hate to say it that way, but it's patriarchal society. So no, that's just was. the truth. Sure. It's just the way it was. They didn't it's just divorce different. their wives willy-nilly like the Romans could do. The Romans, you're, yep. you know, your wife could be pregnant. Like right now, if I were your husband and you were going to have three children and, and there were three girls, I could say to you, I don't want three girls. I want three boys. Yep. And I could abandon you, you and abandon your children mm-hmm. and nothing could be done about it. Well, the Christians, that is not how they live. Uh, actually, a very high view of women for the time. Yes, you know? very high view of women and valuing your wife mm-hmm. and your children and and making vows to one another 
So when you go back to, even go back to like AD 113, Pliny, the governor of Bithynia, um, Pliny the Younger, as opposed to Pliny the Elder, who was a more famous person. But Pliny the Younger is a governor. Mm-hmm. He's trying to figure out what's going on with these Christians. So it's AD 113. He's in Asia Minor. He writes a letter to the emperor, to Trajan. And he says, look, I don't want to do with these Christians. They won't pledge their allegiance to Roma. In other words, they're doing exactly what Paul said to the mm-hmm. Corinthians to do. Don't participate in idolatry. He said, I don't know what to do with them. Because that to us feels like a revolution. You know, who are these people? They won't even pledge to our gods. They won't make sacrifices to our gods. He said, so I've captured a couple of them, some deaconesses. That's what he says. It's AD 113. Yeah. Fascinating word to use. Right? And here's what I'm learning from them. They, they gather together on the, on the first day of the week and they sing songs to Christ as if he's a God. They, they make these promises to each other. They they won't uh, abuse each other when it comes to loaning money and bar and receiving the money the back or paying it back. They won't commit adultery. They won't they won't commit uh, these sexually immoral. Uh, they don't commit those kinds of practices. Um, they won't lie to each other. They don't sue each other. I mean, he has this list of things, mm-hmm. and he says, I just don't know what to do with them, you know, because I'm trying to figure <laughs> them out. They gather and have these small meetings, which was very concerning to the Romans. And they're having these private meetings, you know. But then he describes what they do. Well, when you read that, so Pliny receives a letter back from Trajan, and Trajan says, look, first of all, Trajan was a very generous ruler, even though he could be ruthless. He he, he said, look, don't track these people down. Okay, they're, they're, This is not a threat to the empire, so don't, don't track them down. And don't don't let somebody make an accusation against them. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, put them to death. He said, now, if you've got, if you've got some that you've arrested and they won't pledge allegiance to Rome and they won't sacrifice to the goddesses and gods like we do, sure, you're going to persecute them, maybe even, maybe even, um, put them to death. But don't, don't go out willy nilly and just run, run these people because that's just not the spirit of the age anymore. That's what Trajan says. So you're in the East now, Bithynia, Asia Minor. So these, these this governor is writing on behalf of a lot of people, so that message gets sent to the east. You know, these Christians are not dangerous, really. They're just different. Okay, well, why are they different? Well, they're different because they were heeding the kind of they're lessons Paul had given mm-hmm. to them. Don't just live in the culture um, with, without giving some thought to it, and don't just participate in some of these things. So these folks in Asia Minor, you know, some 60 years later from when Paul wrote, are already doing that, and people are already noticing. So it's the witness that was at stake here. It was it was demonstrating their faith in Christ actually changed them, and their behavior was different, and they felt like they could explain it. You know, yeah, we have festivals, but it's focused on Christ. Yes, we do have a meal, and there is a sacrifice, but the sacrifice was already made for us, so all we do is remember it, so that we're not actually killing any animal anymore. So when you talk about blood and body, actually what we're doing is we're looking back at what Christ has done, and we're looking forward to what he's going to do. So there was just this explanation of their faith that is going to take root over time because it, it, the, the goodness that was displayed by their by their actions, their fidelity, their loyalty, their monogamy. Uh, I mean, there's a whole list of things. You know, when you read um, Rodney Stark, he's written this book called The Rise of Christianity, and um, he's a social historian. And so when Rodney Stark writes about it, he says, these Christians just started standing out in the culture. So what was at stake? That was what was at stake. So... So for them, there was a particularity about Absolutely. what they were going to do mm-hmm. that then excluded everything mm-hmm. else, right. which is still what we do, following right. the Jesus way. That's right. But that's, now what, here it, we are. that's what it looked yeah. like for them. We're in a, as we've talked before, we're in a free society. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think Luke and I talked a little bit about that, and you and I have talked about it some. Okay, so now how do we translate that? What are our issues? Mm-hmm. 
what are we dealing with? Mm-hmm. You know, well, there have been in the past, of course, when some people have studied this text, they've said, well, okay, drinking or, you know, I don't know, like you said, dancing or going to dance halls, all those kinds of things, you know, back in the 50s that mm-hmm. Baptists were struggling with. Um, and I get it. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, every era has its own set of challenges. Um, I, I think today probably what I would say is, is when we're when we're trying to figure out how do I live my life every day and don't just participate in things that that over time can serve as a detriment to my brothers and sisters in Christ and can damage the witness of the gospel? Well, that's where I've got to give some thought. Mm-hmm. So if if I'm going to, let's say, um, you know, like right now, people are saying, well, should we legalize marijuana? Mm-hmm. That's a, a great case in point. Mm-hmm. All right. When I look at that, do I think marijuana is a terrible drug that just totally destroys America? Well, I don't think so. However, there's a whole lot of research that shows us that there's a there is at least enough evidence to say it's a gateway drug for some people. Well, okay, well that gives me pause. You know, it's kind of an introductory um path toward altering your mind, if you will. Okay? So I'm thinking to myself, well, is there another option? Alcohol. Um, you know me well, Katie. You know I don't drink. I'm a mm-hmm. teetotaler, and a lot of that's out of my own personal conviction. Mm-hmm. It's out of our rooted in our family heritage. My wife and I both. I don't believe it's a sin to drink alcohol. I believe it's a sin to abuse alcohol. Okay, and so when so in other words, let's say that I'm trying to make the decision: Am I going to drink or not? That's one decision. Okay, and I think that decision any Christian can make it. And, and deciding on which way you choose, I'm fine with either one. But let's say you decide, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with me going out with my friends at least once a week and just getting totally wasted. I don't think that's a real problem. It's just things. a fun thing. Well, now that now all of a sudden you've stepped over a line. That's kind of what I'm talking about. When mm-hmm. you start trying to evaluate those kinds of things and you end up in a pattern of detrimental behavior, well, then I think you're violating the principle that Paul put in place. You know, that's like going to the banquet hall at an idol, at a, a temple and just participating in everything, even though you're not really worshiping the idol, you're participating in it all. So I think we have to be thoughtful about things that that can end up being detrimental, damaging to the faith and to our witness, offending some who might need a little bit more encouragement than we might, which I love what, I love how Paul says in this text, hey, I, I, it's my right to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to point that True. out. True. But there's another question cr- Christians ask. I, yeah. I, you know, is it beneficial? Is it best? Is it going to be helpful? That was a text that we talked about a lot in college because mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out, you know, you're yeah. trying to navigate of course. what you can right. do, Correct. where the line is. Right. And it's this just kind like, of reframe. Okay, I'll, I'll give you another example yeah. for today. Sexuality is just so um, on display today. Mm-hmm. I mean, my yeah. goodness, you, can't, it's, you just can't go anywhere without it. it just and, and, and like, my goodness, Corinth was that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Corinth actually puts us to shame a little bit, but uh, um, but how do you live out your sexuality, you know, as as a Christian? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you've got to look at the text, hear the authority of the text, hear what God God's voice in it. It's, it's really God is the authority. It's not that the text is authoritative; it is, but it's authoritative it because to, of the God who stands yeah, behind it. It's derivative yeah. truth, mm-hmm. you know. It's derived from the God of the universe, and I think that's an important yeah point to make. Yes, absolutely. We, worship we don't worship God. the Bible. Right. We worship God. But it points us to Absolutely. God. It's derivative it truth. God. It has authoritative um, nature to it because of who's given it to us. Mm-hmm. And so then I need to take my expression of sexuality and put it underneath the authority of what God has revealed to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, if I, 
you know, if, uh, if, if I've decided, you know, my wife and I, okay, we love each other. And uh, we've decided that we're going to just have a third party join us mm-hmm. and we're consensual and he or she's consensual. This whole polyamory thing. We're not getting married. We're not doing this. It's not going to mm-hmm. be polygamy. It's just an arrangement that we all think is okay. We're not, who are we hurting? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not, we're not, it's not like right. we're harming. This all is consenting not abuse. Parties. Absolutely. Yep. These are adults. Well, it's a, it's a violation of what the scripture teaches. So it's detrimental to my witness as a Christian, particularly over time. And it's going to have some impact upon me according to what the scripture teaches because the expression of sexuality is an expression of your entire self. Mm-hmm. It's a celebration of something it's God has given us. Degrade your marriage. Yes. I mean, sure. And so my point being, as a Christian, you can't just say, Well, it's my right. Well, sure. it is. Mm-hmm. In America, it is. You can do that. People do it all the time. Mm-hmm. It is not illegal. That's right. But is it best? Mm-hmm. Is it right? And so that may sound like a far fetched thing to us. But I would tell you right now, there were a lot of things two or three years ago that I thought would be far fetched that are just <laughs> just part and parcel of my culture now. Yeah, we're having to. It's it's a rapid change. Right, rapid right. change. But another question that's a little more controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we you can know, go there. You start talking about um, gender issues. Mm-hmm. So, are you willing to introduce um, um, pharmaceuticals? and counseling, et cetera, et cetera, to a 10-year-old mm-hmm. to help them change their gender? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you honestly believe yeah. that's right? It's a big cultural debate right Correct. now. Correct. And so um, I think as as a Christian, when I look at that, my answer to that is no, because it's a violation to me of what God has put in place, the order God has put in place. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm living in a society where it's talked about as if it's a normal thing. It's it's, it's referred to now as an, you know an, an affirmation process. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, my goodness, the science on it, you talking about how thin the science is, what a joke. And, um, and I mean that respectfully, the science is razor thin, mm-hmm. you know, and yet for some reason, it's just assumed it's that maybe it's off. a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And so, all right, well, here I am as a Christian living in this, I'm going to have to look at that and say, no, you know, um, I just don't believe that is consistent with what the scripture teaches. I believe it's damaging to the Christian witness. And so again, it's a, it's, it's not necessarily because I've got just one or two little verses I can go to in the scripture. It's more of a perspective, a hermeneutical approach mm-hmm. to the Bible that, that informs me in that moment yeah. in my life. So when you talk about everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, that's right. which is how I memorized it. Right. Mm-hmm. It says I have the right yeah. to do anything, yeah. but not everything is beneficial. That's right. I have mm-hmm. the right to do anything, but not right. everything is constructive. Exactly. That's what the NIV says. Exactly. So I learned it in some other translation. Yeah, okay. <laughs> But I think that's helpful. What is right. what is beneficial mm-hmm. for my spirit, right, and my relationship mm-hmm. long term with God? Right. And, and my, to me, and that to me is okay. I'm reading. I've got Romans. I'm in Romans. First Corinthians eight, nine, and ten. Okay, First Corinthians nine, Paul talks about his apostleship, but it's woven into the conversation. The reason that he has the authority to speak on this issue is because of what God has ordained in his life and mm-hmm. the role he's playing in the life mm-hmm. of the church. So they're all those three pages all hang together. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there's three pages right there together in my Bible that are addressing something that feels so remote from me, mm-hmm. meat sacrificed to idols, that's what got my attention. Okay, I need to pay attention to yeah, this. This isn't just there's two, something two in here for yeah. me, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's the reason I preached on it, and why we're having this conversation today. Well, and it's I think it's really helpful. It's mm-hmm. a good example for our church of how you look at something that seems so ancient, antiquated, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. applicable. Mm-hmm. Study it well, and mm-hmm. then apply it. You look at the worlds that are around it, but right. but also not just an example. There is truth for us to live by. That's right. I mean, there's mm-hmm. example that That's we ought right. to take into consideration. Admonition. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, well, 
I think I think we've, we ought to land. We've wandered the plane. all. We've gone all around the world today, haven't we? Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> we I need think. to land it's the airplane, don't we? Well, probably. Yeah, for for their sake, yeah. if not ours. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you, Pastor. Any mm-hmm. final words to your church? No, it's good. I just love I love these people, and I love living life with them. Well, thank you for giving us your time, mm-hmm. and we'll do it again next week. Awesome. All right. Thanks. for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening.